You're listening to the Wannabes Mobcast. So, super stoked for today's podcast. We do a lot of riding. And when you do a lot of riding, you need to do a lot of eating and a lot of drinking water. And there's a method to that, right? Yes. There's you also enduro method. a lot of fitness involved, which I think is yes. the primary yeah. thing. So, today Very we true. are interviewing... Uh, this wasn't all about eating and drinking? <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... Joshua Rampel, he uh, is one of the founders of Enduro Method, um, super cool guy, super knowledgeable about all things fitness and um, gotten to- Love a, their Instagram content. Yeah. Way, no, great way to keep They have up. a great podcast. Yep. They have great social content. They have an awesome website where you can go and you can sign up for courses where you can do like basically all on your own and it's all guided if you're leading up to an event. Uh, like a race or if you're doing a hard ride or something like that. There's also um, personalized training, one-on-one training, virtual training, meal planning, uh, basically everything that you would need to... John's a sponsored... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> My inner sales rep is coming up. Yeah. Um, no, it's super cool. I spent a it lot of time looking cool. on their website in preparation for this podcast. And um, I'm a huge fan of what they're doing. I think it's super cool. And it's yeah. specifically focused on enduro riding or, or riding a motorcycle you don't see a lot of that that's like there's training. a few people out there that are doing it but nothing yeah there's not very many but it's not as common as like a lot yeah. of the other ways to go to the gym 24-hour fitness or whatever they don't care if you ride it or bike right yeah so. i mean like i never would have even you know because i worked out for forever and then i got into fitness and or well, i was into fitness and then i got into riding and other sports and um like i never really put the two together until more recently right. that like you can train specifically for the sport that so you're doing, not just doing the sport and not just working out independently, but you can mold the two right, together. Right, they're related, they're related yeah. to each other. Yeah, 100%. Right. So, yeah, let, let's get into it. Um, Enduro Method. Super appreciate you coming on, man. Um, looking forward to, to chatting um, and appreciate you taking some time and, and being willing to, to do this with us. I'm Kel, yeah. by the way. I haven't interacted with you yet. My, I'm Kel. It's like K-E-L with more letters in it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's dive in. Um, maybe you want to just start by telling us like what Enduro Method is and kind of the backstory, like how you got into it and how the whole thing got started. Yeah. Uh, so my name's Josh. And again, thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, kind of grew up riding when I was a little kid and then uh, just loved bikes in general, anything with two wheels. Kind of got away from it through team sports in high school. And then I grew up central California, close to Fresno, kind of where everybody recognized, but up in the mountains there. And even then stuff was sorry, kind of getting shut down. And so I don't know, didn't really see too much of a future with it. And my folks were definitely not super stoked on uh, the riding side. Cause it was always like, you're going to get hurt for, you know, playing sports. And so kind of got away from it and then moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming in like, I think 2006. And the guy I was working with um, was rode quite a bit and he kind of got me back into it and then training again kind of went in a different route with crossfit and started kind of competing in that and then when that wrapped up kind of started getting back into riding more seriously instead of like a couple times summer and then i was like oh it'd be pretty cool to do some races and i think that was like 2017 or so 
And um, yeah, ever since then, kind of every year it's just ramped up a little bit more for dirt biking. And so like that. probably in, what's that? I was to say, I like that. I, I love any story that starts with, I uh, started riding as a kid. That's always a good, uh, <laughs> it's always a good yeah. place to start. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, it was like that kid, that movie, The Dirt Bike Kid, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, super cheesy and old school, but that was like, I saw a bike in a garage of a house that I was working at, like watering the plants in the summer. And it was a 1975 XR75 and, you know, covered in dust. And yep. I, I remember asking the homeowners when they came back, I was like, Hey, you guys want that bike? Can I buy it from you? And that was it. That was the first bike I ever had. That's awesome. Coming into riding, having that fitness background was such a boon because, um, I mean, I'm pretty big in general, you know, six, four, so pretty tall, long legs and strong, which always helped, which you can make the case that that grow, uh, stunts your technical growth early on. Yeah, those long legs are cheating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very unfair. You get away with a lot. <laughs> um, but having the strength and the fitness to go out was really helpful. And so people just kind of started asking, you know, what can I do to get stronger? What can I do to get more fit? And then we're, we own a gym here in Driggs, Idaho. We've been open nine and a half years and we're like, well, why would we not take what we know and have learned and especially having that on the bike experience and going the route that we're both passionate about. That's pretty cool. That was kind of how, yeah, Enduro Method came about i remember we were sitting in a hot springs actually in uh Baumgartner, idaho and kicking around the idea and we were sitting there and i was like we should literally start a training program for dirt bikers and then it was dane and i and my buddy and um yeah i think we started kicking around names that night and then within a couple of weeks we were getting going i like that so when did you have the gym and then when did you guys kind of move it online for like a broader audience? You have training programs and you guys also do like, like virtual coaching and um, like nutrition planning and all of that. Like you guys have a pretty extensive offering as I kind of understood it looking at your website. Yeah. So our gym here in town is separate. Um, but through that, we had just had a lot of experience with the online platforms and training stuff. And then for myself, you know, I always had a coach through competitive CrossFit who is typically remote and so had the user end experience as well. And we're just kind of looking at, you know, how could we, because the, with the gym here in Drake, it's very brick and mortar. It's such a different experience trying to move that into an online space. Um, so that's been very interesting. And then of course, even like putting yourself out there on videos and like social media and all that stuff. It's so different and foreign to me. I'm definitely more of a, um, well, fairly introverted to begin with. So this whole space is very, uh, interesting to say the least. I think we have that same thing. We're both, I mean, Kale's probably less introverted than I am, but I've always been like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm not a big social media person. And, um, you know, if you're going to do business in the world today, it's like you kind of have to put yourself out there online. And, and now we're, yeah. you know, I remember whatever. asking Sharice one time when we first launched, like, why is John doing a social media business? Like, given- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I can sympathize. Oh, um, I, I want to go back to something you said really quickly, though, because you mentioned being tall and then you mentioned people ask you, like, how do I get strong to, to do this? And, and I'm hoping you told them grow taller. 
right? Like, oh, sure. <laughs> uh, John, John here's a couple inches taller than me, and I, I see the advantage of that. Like, I got a reach where he's just standing there. So, yeah, my brother's a couple inches taller. Actually, he's the one behind the camera. Yeah, um, but he's a couple inches taller than me, and he's always like, you know, it's all in his femurs too. So it's like his his legs just stand there. It's just like. Yeah, he can just he's like on on the side of the hill with his feet standing on the ground and he's just standing there like yeah. it's no big deal. But, so, but in, awesome. in all seriousness, I could see um I mean I have tried to become more fit because it's makes riding so much more enjoyable. You know, it sucks getting winded, it sucks not being able to pick the bike up or or get over the obstacle or whatever the thing might be and being in shape and having the cardio and some muscle to be able to do those things makes it so much more fun, it's so much more accessible. So, I, I definitely see the kind of point of that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that isn't talked about as much is just longevity in the sport. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Because, you know, there, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but there's always, you know, just ride to be fit, all that stuff. And it's, it's I don't want to say you can't do that, but you're also more or less kind of using the same muscle groups, same things when you're out there. So what are you doing to help? preventative or build up the stuff you're not using on the bike right um and that yeah that's a big conversation just around health and longevity yeah i like that i i've uh like i do some cycling some mountain biking and people always think like oh yeah it's a natural fit and there's there's some skills crossover you know picking lines and stuff like that but for me it's really about building my legs and getting that cardio that helps me on the bike in a way that i probably wouldn't build it on bike um especially the leg muscles so yeah, I've always sure. appreciated the crossover. Sorry, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to go back to the story of actually, I mean, I knew about Enduro Method before we did the podcast with uh, Hallie Marks, um, but mm-hmm. she's obviously one of the professional athletes that you guys work with, and I know she was on your website, and it was just kind of cool as we were talking to her about fitness and what she was doing in, for, for for her strength and um, building her fitness and then she mentioned you guys and so that's kind of how this whole thing got started where you know now we're talking to you about the broader conversation of, of fitness which is it's kind of cool I, I was wondering if you work with any other professional athletes in the hard enduro sport yeah and with Hallie too we worked with Hallie for I think a year and a half two years somewhere in there mm-hmm. and then um, she got a trainer in person up there so we're as of probably a couple months ago, not working with her anymore. Mm-hmm. She's kind of full time with him, which is great. Because I mean, anything on site, eyeballs on. Yeah. And the guy's super knowledgeable and all that. So that's really cool. Um, yeah. We started, I worked with a little bit with Joe Namath last year uh, for, we didn't have a whole bunch of time. It was kind of mid season. And then his race schedule was crazy. So we did like a eight week kind of block and then um, reconnected this spring or I guess winter, fall. Sorry. And um, also working with James Flynn. Hmm. Nice. Have you ever had a like noticeable impact on somebody's racing performance? Like maybe going from just being a good rider and then focusing on fitness and then going and applying that to their racing and then having them see that in, in the results. It'd be hard to say so far, not currently just because we haven't worked with too much and we're fairly new and starting out. Um, Obviously that's the goal. Right. Um, but yeah, at this point, there's no like statistical data I could really point to and be like, so-and-so just started crushing. Yeah. So you mentioned doing this remotely. So you, you want to just take a minute and kind of talk through like, what does a program look like? How do you, how do you do this? Um, you know, how, how does it work? 
Yeah, so um, basically we got a platform that we use that um, delivers the workouts through an app or a desktop. Um, from there, you have a, like a written description, intent for the day, and then video demos for all the exercises. More or less, that's about it for our like subscription base. We run in kind of four-week blocks. So we'll go four weeks of a strength focus, followed by four weeks of a stamina focus, and then back on a strength. And we just cycle through those two. Uh, for one-on-one -on -one stuff, it's much more specific to the individual's current schedule, um, you know, job, what they do, all that stuff. If they have ability to get on the bike, stuff like that. Mm, it's pretty cool. It's more like tech. I, I didn't realize there was like a platform behind it. I, that, that's exciting. You're like yeah. actually doing like video calls with people and, and kind of getting their, my understanding is like when you work with a trainer, you get like all their your metrics and you kind of understand what their baseline is. And then you kind of build out a customized plan for them. Um, like that would be part of like one of the levels of your uh, program. Yeah, totally. If you're doing the subscription base, there's not, um, we can communicate through the platform. Mm -hmm. So we're open to questions or help or uh, even like subbing out exercises and stuff for the one-on-one -on -one, it's much more hands-on you know it depends on the program right some people will actually have call outs for weights call outs for pacing and all that stuff we'll do that hit or miss here and there but a lot of times it's it's more getting people to be a little bit more autonomous in their own fitness mm. interesting and because of the fact we're not a, a sport specific to the weight room i'm not terribly concerned about like exact percentages or how much can you lift here? How much can you lift there? Obviously we want to see doing stuff that's hard, but doable for you in the rep range and the time durations that are specced out. But other than that, again, because the gym's not the sport, it's more just getting the stimulus and then using that on the bike. Okay. I, that's super interesting. So is there any particular type of riding that you're more applicable to, or does it, does it, does it adjust based on the way people present in terms of what they're riding or what they're trying to accomplish? The um, time domains would adjust to race domains. Okay. You're racing, right? Yep. And if you're just out trail riding weekend, weekend warrior, um, you're probably going to skew to the longer kind of endurance durability side. Mm. Right. And if difference between guys who are looking to train more like motocross as opposed to enduro or maybe they're doing um i don't know like enduro cross as opposed to enduro or motocross like they obviously they have different strength requirements i mean i've never ridden motocross that much but you know in a way it kind of uses a different set of muscles yeah um the intensity level is different yeah Interesting. and duration and so if well, you take some that's what you mean by duration, right? Like you're talking about like duration of what you've got to go and perform for. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So if you're training for an eight minute, you know, as many laps as possible in an enduro cross setting, you got to have super high aerobic threshold, some anaerobic capacity, uh, pretty powerful, right? For short bursts yep. versus look at something like a four hour hard enduro, you're going to need those attributes, but the intensity is lower overall, right? And it's stretched out so much further, if that makes sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, totally. So you've got to be able to carry the activity for a longer period of time, but probably with 
I don't know, shallower peaks or something like that. I don't know if I'm using the right words, but. Yeah. Um, a really cool analogy of this would be like if you had a matchbox, right? Um, and you could think of the box itself, what the box is constructed out of would be um, strength and durability because you don't want a super brittle box, but you don't want it really rubbery and flimsy, right? You want some structure, but it's also got to be able to move. So that to me would be strength and durability. Mobility would fall in there. And then how big the box is could be your aerobic base. Okay. Right. The, the bigger the box, just the more base you have, the more you can build on that. And then matches would be inside the box and that'd be your anaerobic. And so if you have a really small box, can't hold a lot of matches. Every time you push that red line, I mean, we've probably all been there on a bike, right? You get like yeah. four hard pushes and then you're just gas. And so the more matches you have inside the box, the more times you can hit that threshold and recover. Mm, interesting. So the, the bigger box you can have, the more matches you can put inside. So many questions. So I don't actually know what technically happens during anaerobic um, performance. I mean, I know you're, you're out of air. So what do you, what's being consumed? ATP basically, right? So ATP is our currency. That's what we use. That's what we split for fuel, everything. Yep. Okay. Like us having a conversation, we're using a small amount. You go do a hundred meter sprint using a massive amount. So it's, it's basically how fast you can, your body can regenerate ATP and then how accessible it is. So three main energy systems, you have your alactic anaerobic, which would be the really short, like zero to 15 seconds, hundred hmm. percent effort. And then that thing's spent, right? And it takes 15, 20 minutes to revamp that. Um, then you have your anaerobic lactic. You can produce quite a bit of power there, but you can't produce as much as you can with the alactic system. That runs aground around four minutes, roughly, right? There, we're always using all systems, but using more, uh, one or one of them more dominantly than the other one. Um, and then after about the four minute mark, roughly, you fall into the aerobic system. And that carries on from anywhere from, you know, four or five to two days, right? If you're doing some ultras or something like that, which also produces significantly less ATP. So aerobic system is with the presence of oxygen. It's also known as the oxidative system. And then your anaerobic is without the presence of oxygen, right? So the production of ATP does not require oxygen to regenerate, essentially. Interesting. Okay. I feel like I'm back in high school biology. This is great. <laughs> it's all this and stuff so, I forgot about. <laughs> and anaerobic work is by its very nature un not sustainable and not right. re necessarily repeatable. And so that's why, like, if you hang out at that red line too long, right, you're going to bonk. Right. And that's why it takes so long to recover. So the, the higher you can push your aerobic base, the faster you can be without tapping into that anaerobic state. Okay, mm. that makes sense. So if you were looking at it from like a heart rate standpoint, yep. let's say you went out and did like a, a jog at um, 130 beats per minute. And when you start doing that, you can only jog at, you know, like a 10 minute mile pace. As you progress and build that system, you can still go out and run at 130 beats a minute, but now you can run that at a nine minute mile pace. 
So you're just that much more efficient with the same heart rate. You can just get more work done. What's actually improving there's muscle strength or your heart's capacity. So the same beats pumping more blood, like what, what's actually getting bigger? Heart strength for sure. <laughs> increasing blood flow. Um, you're increasing mitochondrial density. Okay. And the capillary system is also increasing. So you're, you're able to, you can think of, you know, you're like, um, arteries and big rivers of blood. And then the capillaries are all your little branches off of that. Yep. So the more capillary system or the, the better the capillary system you can build, essentially you can get more oxygen to the muscles. So it's, it's literally efficiency that's improving yep. for the same. Yeah. Okay. So, and it takes time. Right. Too, is that yeah. hard part. You can't build a road base in eight weeks. Right. I mean, that stuff has got to, it's got to grow in, right. Based on like a demand that you repeat. Yeah. So in layman terms, it's it's basically just your body's ability to get oxygen and sugar to your muscles. Or is there um, yeah, that's a little over simplistic for five year olds. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's what I am. So <laughs> we're really breaking it down. You can think of it this way, too. Typically, the, the more intense the work, the more sugar you're going to burn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the lower intensity, you want to be more efficient at burning fat. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Cause I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask a similar question. Like where does that fuel has got to come from somewhere? So obviously breathing is your oxygen source, but like how does a calorie supply feed into this? I guess you just answered a a piece of that, but like you've got to eat throughout at some point you're burning fat you've stored, like you switch it back and forth. What's the. Yeah. So more or less with lower lower intensity work you're going to be using well if you're metabolically efficient you'll be using fat as fuel okay again the intensity ramps up and you require more power you're going to be switching to burning glycogen sugars basically carbs when when it comes to enduro like you're you're talking to a rider who's been riding for forever and he's looking to maybe focus in on the strength aspect of this and you're trying to like explain the value of your training programs. That's more like, like what are you telling people instead of like going to a CrossFit or something like that, or just going to your local gym and pumping, you know, out reps or, or something like that. Like what, what is it that makes your training program different from like a traditional strength training uh, program or just doing it yourself? Maybe not even following a program. The mixing in of all the different aspects, I would say. So if you go to the gym and you're typically doing bodybuilding split style workouts, the goal of that is hypertrophy, right? So muscle size, um, definitely nothing wrong with that better than nothing, but muscle size isn't going to necessarily translate to improvement in the cardiovascular system or any of the anaerobic work really. So that was where CrossFit in a sense revolutionized idea of fitness when it came out right everything Mm -hmm. was for time super challenging and brought in this at this kind of functional fitness craze if you will and the you know it's kind of funny because everything's functional but (laughs) um, they kind of popularized that if you will sure and where they i think fell short a little bit and maybe not fell short it's just their way of doing it they're a little bit more random in their programming. And so, 
and from an exercise selection standpoint, can be very complex. And so you're bringing in, you know, they kind of pulled from a bunch of different sport genres, right? Olympic lifting, gymnastics, uh, sprinting, swimming, basically name one and it's, you could call it CrossFit, right? And with that came a lot of injuries from people not prepared for the movements they're doing. And then you're throwing in high intensity for time and ego and everything. <laughs> Right. Ego's got to play a role uh, in the injury factor, right? Oh man. Good <laughs> There's been a lot of people doing it really well since then. And then, you know, if you're then it became a sport. And so that kind of changed everything because if you go to a traditional CrossFit gym and then, you know, a competitive CrossFit gym, like they're totally different styles. And then if you go to a CrossFit gym that is well, kind of like us, we're in the mountains. Nobody does competitive CrossFit. Our programming is not really CrossFit. Like we've taken kind of the best parts we found and then morphed it into getting people prepared to play outside. And so Endure Method was literally just a spinoff of that where we're taking all the same concepts, all the good, trying to do all the good, avoid all the bad. And then if something doesn't, I mean, snatching is a great example. It's an Olympic sport, but it takes years to be even competent at it. And so you can make the case, well, how much time do I need to spend to become proficient at using a barbell and snatching it? And all that time spent learning the technique, you know, doing reps, is that going to translate to on-the-bike performance? And I, for me, it would be no. Right. Uh, you can accomplish many of those same benefits you get from that exercise but with dumbbells or kettlebells or box jumps or whatever and and not spend any of that time doing that and risk again i don't think necessarily the, the exercise is inherently dangerous but there's definitely a um being underprepared for it aspect yeah that makes a lot of sense i like what you said a minute ago about um getting people prepared to go play outside right like what, whatever your thing is i I like that aspect. First of all, we kind of one of our mottos is like go outside and do shit. Right. And so I like that generally, but I think that that functional approach really should be more people's focus. Um, I think that's probably why we moved away from the concept of like, I got to build huge muscles, you know, probably in the eighties and nineties is a concept of going to the gym to get built, but for what end to what end. Right. And right. so I, I anyway, one well, in, maybe arguably you could be too big, right? If you're just massive right. and you have no cardio abilities, you know, I mean, that's not going to help you on the bike because Can't maybe you can lift it, the yeah. bike once, but can you can't you ride it 20 times or, yeah. you know, even, you know, to that end, like if, if most of the work that you've been doing is with a barbell, right? Your, your yeah. arms are, are fixed together in a single plane of motion, right? When you're working on a bike, like the, way that you're using your body is always, it's not going to be a standard motion, right? It's always going to be different. It's always going to, uh, you're going to be twisting and turning and using muscles that you didn't even know you had. And so like just focusing on your big muscles, like using your body functionally as an entire unit rather than right. um, maybe isometrically, you're like, yeah, you might have big arms or, or something to that effect, but like that's not necessarily going to help you when you're trying to use your entire body um, to maneuver a, 250 to 300 pound bike 
Yeah, there's definitely an aspect to that. I think using the gym as a tool is the way to go about it. And, you know, there's all kinds of different thoughts out there on it. But the great things about like barbell stuff and well, let's use barbells in particular. They're very stable, right? Like you're saying, your hands are fixed, your feet are flat on the floor. And so you can produce a lot of force that way. So it's a great tool to get stronger. Now, you should use that and also use dumbbells, right? A little bit more un- or unstable. And as soon as you start moving down that spectrum from stable to unstable, you can't produce as much force. You're going to use a little bit lighter weight. Um, but incorporating all of that into a, into a plan is basically the best, best case scenario. Do you see guys doing anything like, like the people who come to you, are they doing one thing wrong more than other things, like putting a focus in maybe the wrong area, like something that you see consistently where um, maybe there's just or it's, like a lesson it's, for us all to learn? Yeah, that? I was going to say the stuff that's like not helping you the way you think it is, you know, yeah. that people might not think about. I think it's <clears throat> in general, a lot of lack of direction and consistency. Hmm. And then along with that, you will you know, you'll get better in the range that you train. So going back to the bodybuilding example, if all you do is hypertrophy work, trying to get bigger, you're probably going to get bigger as long as nutrition's in line with that, but that's not going to help your cardio. And if all you do is cardio, that's not going to help your strength. And that's where just having a plan that you can follow that you trust that incorporates all those different aspects and you kind of rotate through over time, you're just going to start ticking all those boxes. Have you found an effective way to like to strike the balance between strength and endurance for riding specifically? Like, I was thinking about this kind of coming into this conversation about how you know the bike only weighs so much. Like, is there an ideal kind of level of fitness? Like, you know, you could potentially be overtraining. Like, if you're obsessed with having like a 500 pound deadlift, like, okay, that's that's nice to have. And if you can, you know, if you, can, bike up, carry if, you, it. if you can perform at that level, great. But like, you know, the, there's only so much of a strength requirement from, from just purely okay. a strength perspective when well, it comes to writing. There's gotta be trade-offs to it too, right? Like if you, you, you've got to feed the bustle, I don't know if at some point you've got to have extra cardio to carry around, not, not to carry, but to like utilize the extra muscle and you, you're like overbuilt. Mm-hmm. Is that a, or am I thinking about that wrong? No, <laughs> I think there's definitely a tipping point. You could definitely be too big for your goals, but that's—I mean, I'm not trying to shirk the question, but that's what it will boil down to, right? Um, if you're going out having fun on the bike, riding, but you really want a 500-pound deadlift, prioritize the deadlift. Right. If that's just like a pie in the sky, not that important, but performance on the bike is, you're gonna have to probably—you're probably already strong enough. Like even if you're anywhere close to a 500 pound deadlift, right? And then it would be skewing more toward kind of endurance and cardio. Mm. Are there things that people typically come in, you know, their, their cardio's maybe usually okay, but they're not strong enough or the other way around? Like what, what do you see like more of, or is it, is it just kind of random? Yeah, it's pretty individual based. I'd say in general, I almost want to say it's both. <laughs> people are weekend out of shape huh <laughs> that's fair i've been there too so uh, no definitely a strength side um 
you know, I've thought a lot about it too. Like what would be general strength numbers to put out there for people right. to, to shoot for. And it, I run into the same question because I'm like, how strong do you actually have to be to ride a bike? Because the more efficient you are on a bike, the less strong you got to be. Well, and that's right. something we've thought a lot about in terms of um, when you look at different pieces of equipment for the bike, different riding styles, whatever, what, what we've, we have this kind of theory, I guess, if you will, that you adapt your riding style to match your gear and or your capabilities. So if you got a shitty tire on, you're going to learn to ride on it and you're going to be okay on it. And you might not notice it after a while. And probably the same thing if your cardio is really low, but you're muscly, maybe you drop the bike more, but you don't mind picking it up or whatever that trade-off is and you just get used to that. And maybe don't notice, um, you know, where where you've got a gap because you've adapted to it in some way. Totally, and I think there's definitely riding shouldn't necessarily be your only metric because right. the the better of a rider you become, the more efficient you are, and it actually means you're getting less fit potentially. I thought about that too. Yeah, if it gets gets too easy, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all know, like or at least living here like you'll see this old the old big dude beer belly hanging out at the top of the ski run you're like yeah all right at least i got this guy he shoots down you never see him again right but he's been doing it for 40 years right and right. so there's there's got to be some checks and balances in there that if you can increase your riding skill and you become more efficient you also want to have some metrics to know okay can i do still do the same amount of pull-ups can i still you know if you have a rower cardio machine or some way to check that and obviously, if you're racing, you can compare yourself to other people and, and that stuff. But um, yeah, and that's where I think for a lot of people who maybe aren't interested in the competitive side and all that stuff, shifting that conversation more to health longevity is a good mm -hmm. way to help keep them motivated and see the benefits of, you know, doing some strength and cardio work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you might come in to riding, let's say you're a newer rider or you're still building your skill and you're going to realize like, I'm, I'm not physically strong enough to, to do this or whatever. You're going to fix those things. And then over time, shifting back out of building myself specifically for this sport and more into let's, let's figure out some like maintenance routines to, to keep myself sort of generally fit and not make it about the bike anymore. Cause that's not a good metric anymore. That's what you're saying. I, I'm, I don't want to say it's not a good metric. I just think it's easy to be you know, I couldn't ride this hill before. Now I can. So I'm more fit. I gotcha. You might just be a better rider and expending right. less energy. Yeah. And so if that, if that goes along and there's no other way to check and see what else is happening, it might be easy to actually almost decrease in fitness. That's an interesting, that that's an interesting point. Cause I, I think we all know that like, you know, if you drop the bike less, you don't need as much energy to run a race or whatever. Right. So you, you try totally. to, make a few less mistakes and ultimately come out faster. Maybe you haven't actually improved so much as to be more careful or whatever. And so I could see that. Yeah. So you made a point kind of when we kicked this off about how, um, you know, some people will ride to stay in shape rather than uh, train. So we, this is podcast episode 17 and we started with uh, our episode with Graham Jarvis. And one of the things we were talking about was like his fitness and, his cardio abilities and what he was doing to stay in shape. And, you know, cause he's what, 47, I think now, like that. you know, and I think that's, you know, that's interesting. Like, so I used to be really into going to the gym and I wasn't as into writing at that point. And then I got into writing and more and more and more, it kind of took over my life. Uh, I decided that, well, so I had a number of different 
injuries. I had like a, a tore muscle in my shoulder and then I tore a couple muscles in my lower back. And I started like realizing that I was just chasing weight and it wasn't for any functional purpose. And uh, I enjoyed riding more. So I started to just ride to stay in shape. And um, I kind of thought you might have some thoughts on, on that because I feel like We've heard every every which way. I mean, we've interviewed yeah. enough professional riders. Some say all I do is ride, and other people are like, no, I mountain bike, and you know, I got to hit the gym. And it, we've heard everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you're kind of more leaning towards the gym is is kind of the way to go. But like thinking through that, I'm kind of wondering what your what your thoughts are on on that. Yeah, I mean, again, I do think it is very individual. I think um, there's no one way to accomplish anything. Right? There's many different ways at the top of the mountain. Um, I think it, a lot of it boils down to time too. How much time can you spend on the bike per week and what goals do you have with that? Mm. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Like it, as an example where we are, like I, we can't ride six months out of the year. And so I sure don't want to wait six months to get back in shape by the end of the season and then you fall know, in and this. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So cross training for me is very important. Somebody lives in Arizona, might be able to be on the bike, you know, four or five days a week. Um, I just, I would still, you got the summers to hide from though. So (laughs) that's true. Um, I would still think there's some benefits. And again, going back to the health longevity standpoint from doing some type of work in the gym. Um, but you know, it's individual. I know we, I had David Knight on the podcast and you know, he was one of those just like, I just ride. Yeah. I shouldn't go to the gym, but I just ride, you know what? Um, I'm not going to say that's wrong by any stretch of imagination, but you know what though? I, I would be willing to bet, um, that some of those top riders are doing enough different things on the bike that they're getting kind of a breadth of, of, you know, one day they're, they're getting enduro on the motocross track. Another day they're, they're climbing obstacles and lifting the bike. I'm like, I'm guessing they're cross training on the bike, if you will, in, in a lot of ways. For sure. And I think that's something that's kind of a important to hit on is um that aspect like there's different you know going out riding with your friends doing group rides is fantastic but that's not training right right Right. i mean it could be in the beginning for sure but the better you get you know i would look at that as like base building right time on the bike getting out there sure you might spike your heart rate a couple times but in general there's a lot of breaks a lot of talking long hours, all yep. that stuff. Yep. Um, the, the theme that comes through though, with those guys is they're doing short sprints, which you could call VO2 max interval work, right? right? Op aerobic threshold work, maybe touching that anaerobic area. They're doing longer intervals at a little bit lower intensity, stretching that out 30, 60 minute motos. And then they have this massive base cause they ride so much. Right. So like all the aspects, that are in gym training, whether you're looking at somebody around a marathon, ultra Spartan races, CrossFit competitive, it's all in there. It's just arranged a little bit different. And then of course the sports different. Uh, th- that makes a ton of sense. I could definitely see that. I mean, as an analogy, like we've started, um, like enduro training, um, not fitness, the enduro riding style training, like on the track that we have and being focused about it makes you a lot better than just hanging out on the trail with your buddies. You're absolutely right. There's so much downtime and yeah, you know, you're tired at the end of the day cause you spent eight hours out there, but it's not the same as going to the gym or, you know, one really of the things that I've pulled over from 
kind of a, a training mentality from being at the gym was when it comes to skill building, uh, one of the cool things about that mentality is like, you're, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to train this for a certain number of, of reps right. and I'm going to break it up into sets. So like I was trying to learn how to do double blips over a log and I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to do a hundred of them. So no matter how long it takes, I'm just going to go and I'm going to do that. So I just started doing it and doing it. And then I did another hundred and I did another hundred and it, it in, in doing that, it kind of occurred to me that each skill is equivalent to basically a, you know, a maneuver that you would make in the gym. And if you train it like that, you'll right. not only get the workout benefits because of it, but you also improve in the same way that you're improving, um, you know, like, you know, a power clean and jerk, right? There's uh, body position, there's timing, there's, you know, the exertion of energy. It's, it's basically the same thing, just applied to the motorcycle rather than to a barbell or something like that. Yeah, totally. And it was funny because when I started kind of getting more serious in riding it, that's all we did was group rides. Go with friends, go out, big weekends. And same thing. Like, you know, you might hit a couple down trees and a couple logs in four or five hours. Maybe you do 10. Right. And over years, then you're like, oh, I'm getting better at logs. And then (laughs) I went... Dan and I went and did a, a lesson. I think we did a two-day thing just with the two of us with Rich Larson. Nice. Uh, probably two or three years ago at this point. And, yeah, I was just blown away because I had never really thought of training on the bike specifically like you would for basketball or whatever. And right. it made, I was like, how, how have I gone this long and just – got my mind blown by the fact that I should just go out and find a log and practice. Yeah. No, I had the well, exact same, same moment. Yeah. Like just recently we're like, I've really started to put in the time on skill building and it just so, yeah. blew my mind. It's just like, just go and put in the work, just nope. do the reps. Because what happens on the trail is you just need to get up or through or over or whatever. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's fucking ugly and like the worst, you know, log crossing ever, but you got through and you're like, whatever, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm going to go. And then you start to think in your head, like, no, I'm pretty decent. I got over that log. And then, <laughs> but uh, yeah. we had Luis come out and show us up and same thing. We're going to have rich sometime probably this year, but yeah. Awesome. It's a whole other yeah, thing. It was, it was great. And ever since then, I've just, you know, tried to accumulate whatever I can rocks, logs and or find little sections yep. and, you know, repeat. Well, cause, and, cause now you're focusing on the skill and not just the, I got to get through this and keep going down the trail. Right? Totally. Yeah. And that's where, you know, translating from like the philosophy of training to the bike, you can do the same thing. You know, if you, if you want to go, instead of doing three minute repeats on a track running, you could right. find a section that's hard, but rideable for you. And go do three minute repeats. Put a watch on your handlebar, hammer that out. You know, rest one to one or two to one or something, and um, it's a great way to do it. It's a little bit harder to prescribe because riding levels are so all over the place. Right. But right. a little bit of creativity, and you know, essentially, you could be doing anything from same amateurs doing it, pros doing it. It's just the terrain you're riding is completely different. Right. Mm-hmm. That's uh, super interesting. Um, oh, go ahead. Well, one of the questions I had was about metrics. So back like 10 years ago, uh, I had my little entrepreneurial endeavor where I made the, a fitness tracking app as well. I was really into fitness. 
Uh, and I was basically writing everything down in a notepad. I had like a stopwatch and I was tracking, you know, sets, reps, time, and then kind of accumulation um, of all the efforts. And I did that for every workout. And I applied that to a mobile app that would just track it all for you and whatever. It was kind of a thing for a minute. And then I ran out of money. <laughs> um, and so, but I've always been fascinated with like the metrics side of doing anything. Um, and when it comes to fitness training specifically for uh, enduro or just riding motorcycles in general, like what do you think are the metrics that people should be paying attention to? Is it sets, reps, and time? Is it uh, like zone training? I know like we had Destry Abbott on the podcast and he was talking a lot about how he's focusing on zone training as a kind of his primary method of like, understanding what his fitness level is at but i'm kind of wondering what your take is on it yeah i think from like the sets and rep perspective um you should essentially be lifting across a broad range right and and stick stick with a certain set and rep period long enough to get in it like don't switch it up every day but every four to eight weeks Mm. and then play with five reps play with 12 reps play with 10 play with eight really no i mean play with seven nobody programmed seven right why right um but unless you're unilateral i guess but yeah it's all in there it's all good from a zone training thing you know they basically just line up with the energy systems and so you know you got zone two which is kind of a buzzword now very popular but that's also important in the sense that zone two is where you shift from burning fat as a main fuel source to burning sugar. Mm. And so if you're going back to that aerobic base, you want a huge volume of zone two training per, per week, right? That accumulates over time. And so then you got zone three, which is more or less kind of known as no man's land. You're working hard enough to feel like you're working, but you're not working hard enough to get the adaptations that you're looking for in the anaerobic world. So it's kind of this gray area, which sadly a lot of people fall into. Then you got zone four and zone five. Uh, some things say zone six, but typically there's five. Uh, I think it's a good way to kind of organize it. Nothing wrong with it. I do think it's kind of easy to get real caught up in the metric side. Like, I don't know if you ever played around with like a whoop strap or any of that stuff. Was that the, uh, the, the abdominal band? No, whoop strap's just a wrist. Um, watch but no screen Mm -hmm. and it just you have an app and tracks a bunch of stuff yeah it's kind of cool but it's like an iphone watch or yeah garment yeah we have the apple watch both of us so yeah Yeah. i found that just cool like i track it as like a cycling exercise just because i like to get the gps tracks from it because they're super accurate um But yeah, I mean, like it, you know, tracks your time and your heart rate. And I, I, that's basically all the, um, tracking I do. I don't, I don't, I don't try to train based on those metrics. I just find it interesting to look at kind of after the fact to see what I did. Yeah. I think they're useful. Um, I don't personally try and be super reliant on it. I mean, I've literally been just recently on the bike doing interval work and looking at my heart rate on my watch and it's at you know, 145, one minute, down to 90 the next minute. Nothing's changed. Pace hasn't changed. And then I get off and I'm in my rest period and it's like 180. You know, and I'm like, yeah. how am I going to rely on this? And then if you are putting this into real practice, um, you know, you're not going to be stopping and checking your watch on a hill climb to see if 
make sure you're not working too hard. Again, I think I think it can be useful and I think it can help people find the zones that they're trying to work in. You know, the other part would just be cognizant of what you're doing, how it feels and using that as a reference point. Mm-hmm. I like that. It feels super practical because you can feel if you're like at the edge of your breathing, you know what that feels like, um, yeah. you know, max VO2 or whatever. And or if you're not working hard enough, like, you know, it like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. you, you know, when it's not hard or when it's too hard, like you should be able to feel that stuff. And mm. at some yeah. at some level, um, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about injuries, because I think you, you mentioned something about people getting hurt because they don't know what they're doing or something, which is kind of an interesting segue to. I'm sure people get hurt for all sorts of reasons, but anything in particular that you've seen that leads to injuries or good ways to prevent injuries, either from working out or working out itself makes you fit enough to not get injured. That's I'm sure something ties in. Yeah. Injuries. I mean, one thing with injuries is usually there's an underlying cause before the injury happens. Interesting. Okay. A lot of times. Um, it's not to say that something can't happen spontaneously. And I don't want to say lifting weights is 100% safe, but I would also say it's not 100% dangerous. Like there's definitely a balance. I think ego plays a massive role in gym injuries. Yep. Like it has in mine. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that though. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, there's this kind of, stigma against lifting in in some circles and you know maybe for a reason but i feel like there's more harm done by promoting that than there is by getting people to go and learn what their body is capable of experience new ranges of motion and um you know learn what it feels like to do certain things and best case scenario start light pay attention, watch videos, you know, do a little bit of research on certain movements, learn what you're supposed to feel doing certain movements. And in the long run, you're going to set yourself up for success. That makes a lot of sense. So what about injury recovery? Because I I think both, well, I mean, you can hurt yourself in the gym, sure, but like you can, I, so, so far in the last like 12 years, I've never managed to break a bone. Um, you but don't try hard enough. I know. Well, you have. Uh, but it's like I've I tore my hamstring really bad riding over a patch of ice. Um, and I like almost separated. Sh- <laughs> yeah, no, I split this way. Like I was going through this corner on a fire road, and there was like iced over, and I was like, oh, if I just hit it straight, like I should be oh fine. I should come out the other side, and my bike turned sideways, and my forefoot went with the bike, and my back foot stayed behind me, and I just did this splits long ways and it tore my hamstring and, and I turned my entire back of my right leg black from the pit of my knee to like the bottom of my butt cheek it was just completely black for four by three for or four while. months yeah. and yeah. that's probably the worst injury I've ever had uh, like I just you know I don't know I kind of trained through it and I was back on the bike not too long after that and it's not been much of an issue ever since and then I was like riding through some uh, a patch of grass and like this rock came out of nowhere and I hit it and it like launched me up and threw me over the bars and I like landed on my shoulder and it, it wasn't a full separation, but it was definitely a like a partial partial separation. So like that just got me thinking about, yeah, like most people break bones, most people tear muscles or tendons and like obviously you don't want to let that be the end of your riding or your, 
your physical fitness. And so you got to come um, back from it somehow, but you don't want to make it worse. Right. Like, yeah. Kale has the most interesting injury I story. Cracked my spine, but yeah, it was really stupid. The bike just fell on me and folded me and cracked my spine, but it was not like a functional break. It was like a little piece broke off or whatever. So it was like the spine worked just fine. So I was back on the bike pretty quickly. I don't know, three, four weeks or something like that. Stiff as hell, <laughs> but, <laughs> but riding again. But, uh, actually it was funny cause then I crashed again and it like stretched me and hurt really bad. But, and after that I was like, Oh, okay. Like <laughs> crazy shit, but it, it does get you thinking like, how can I, how do I come back from this? And is there like a workout that, you know, or a training routine that's going to get me back? Yeah, it would definitely be injury dependent. And then of course, going through all the correct routes, getting through PT, getting cleared and all that stuff. Sure. Um, there's typically a big gap. We've seen it a lot too in our physical location here from PT to real life. Everybody kind of graduates from PT and then stops doing stuff. Right. And you're still stiff and like partially mobile or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, PT, like you walk in a pre-T room and the heaviest thing in there is like 10 pounds. And so there, there needs to be a bridge from PT to back to sport or back to activity. Um, and that's typically left behind, but to navigate that, it's going to take a lot of self-awareness, you know, talking with a trusted trainer. Um, and then you can definitely hammer the things that are good to go. Right. And then using pain as a, as a guide, you know, not going, if you're looking at like one to 10, tens, very painful ones, nothing you're working two to three, not going over that, not right. overdoing it. You know, if you get super sore, back it off a little bit. But in so, general, like just the idea of even though you're injured, staying active is going to, and as long as you're not overdoing it, help your body to recover. I mean, that's been all that's. Well, I mean, like a, you, you want blood flow, right? You want to stimulate blood flow. You want to yeah. whatever, you know, keep other joints from getting stiff, things like that, I would assume. Right. I mean, yeah, totally. otherwise you could. And, like I've known plenty of people who have come back from injuries by doing nothing but just sitting on the couch and just waiting for six months for it to heal. <laughs> you know, and that's that is a method, right? It's going to grow back together, but it's probably not going to be, you know, you're not going to come back to the sport that you love and, right. you know, as good a shape as you were. Yeah, you could definitely facilitate that healing process. Yeah. I like what you said about using pain as a guide. I think that um, well, people who do that, for example, just sit on the couch for like people, I think are they want to avoid all pain and some pain is just part of it's part of being alive it's part of doing stuff right some stuff's gonna hurt you just you got to be able to tell the difference between the pain that's breaking you and the pain that's probably okay right? yeah definitely not only that but if you're working let's say it's a elbow or arm right right arms in a cast if you continue to work your legs work your left work your core you're gonna get that stronger your body's still gonna kind of translates some of that into the right side, even though you're not moving it. Like there's a symbiosis that your your body wants to be, well, we're not completely symmetrical to begin with, but mostly symmetrical. So if you just continue doing what you can, you know, you're going to have that much benefit. And then when you are able to start moving, it's going to be that much quicker that that other side catches up. That makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about that at all, but yeah, you're right. You're, you're, whatever blood flow in your heart rate and all those other things, if you keep them together. Right. Interesting. So there's the and whole if you come into that little fit, right. You're going to be yeah. that much better to come out of it too. 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes that's sense. So true. So there's a whole other side to this that we haven't touched on yet. And that's the health, <laughs> uh, the, the diet, the nutrition, um, hydration. <sighs> so what got me thinking about this, I mean, it, I think there's something unique to the dirt bike riding community where like, it's a very social sport, right? There's a lot of guys who drink a lot. There's a lot of guys who smoke a lot. And I, there's a lot of guys that just show up to a, a ride having not eaten anything that day. Uh, you know, just pounded like four monsters and are ready to go. And you get to the first sign of any kind of technical terrain and they're gassed. You know, they, they limp back to the truck and pass out. And so I want to talk about the whole other side about, uh, you know, nutrition and not just building your body for the ride, but like what you can do leading up to a ride, whether you're racing for an event and then like uh, what you can do during an event to like fuel your body and, and keep going. Like I, I think we have a big event around here. It's called the big bear trail ride. And it's like a 210 mile ride. Um, we finished it this last year. It took us like 14 hours and we've done it three years in a row. And the first year we did it, uh, we went at like 120, 130 miles yeah, halfway and we, were, and we were dead. And then we started to realize like, okay, there's things that we can do to prepare for this. And then we started doing things like prehydration and, um, you know, better conditioning coming in, did a lot of conditioning. Yeah. Um, A lot of like drink a ton of water for like a week. Hydration packs and, uh, eating really well. And it was things that we never really thought of the first year we did it. And it was kind of like the one event during the year. That's like our benchmark to say, okay, okay, can we get better? Can we get more efficient? Uh, can we plan better? Um, and, and the effects of those things throughout the ride have made us, well, go from not being able to complete it at all to being able to complete it. And now we're trying to like get faster and faster so that we can, you know, improve in our standings. Not like we're ever going to win, but um, you know, there's so much to riding that comes from what you put in your body, not just like what you do with it. So I don't know. I don't know what the specific question I was asking there. I know I just rambled on, but like, let's talk about the nutrition and in that side of it. Yeah. Let's I'll start with like general, riding or weekend warrior style and then go toward racing yeah perfect it's definitely a little bit different but yeah in general nutrition very important again health and longevity aspect to it um it's fuel right and so everything you eat you could think of having a two to three day effect on you so Hmm. you you know you will run across people like what do i do pre-race what do i do pre-race and it's like well if your diet's been shit for a year, it, it really doesn't matter what you eat the morning of, right? So <laughs> getting some awareness around food to begin with is going to be huge. Protein is typically very under-consumed, just in, in a general, that's a very broad statement, but usually deficient in protein, high in fat, high in sugar, low in quality carbohydrate. So that would be Kind of the first thing just from getting to a place of having better more consistent energy that would lead up to a better performance regardless of what you did the morning of for the most part right protein you could look at 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of target body weight i'm 218 pounds i feel pretty good about where i'm at i try and eat anywhere from 200 218 grams of protein a day that's a pretty good metric across the board male, female, whatever. And again, if you're 
you're shooting for target body weight. So you could have somebody who's pretty big, um, let's say 250 pounds, maybe their target body weight would be more like 185. They're not trying to eat 250 grams. They're trying to eat that more 185 mm. amount of protein. Protein should be constant every day. Timing's not necessarily important. As long as at the end of the day, that box is checked. And then that's consistency. You'll also get a lot of people who eat real good for two days, a lot of protein, no protein for two days. And then if you took the weekly total, they're half what they should be. And part of the reason why it's so important is protein is just think of it like building blocks for the body. It supports lean muscle mass, organs, tissues, hair, nails. It has all these functions. It can kind of serve as energy, but it's mostly reserved for building and conserving tissue. Fat and carb is energy. And they're interchangeable. I mean, you'll see people thrive off low carb, high fat. People thrive off high fat, low carb. It's really dependent on the person. And then, of course, there is some sport application for that. But what's going to be consistent over time? For that individual so if you equate for protein which again we want constant and then total calories and then you can mix and match carbs and fats you're going to be in a pretty good spot and the total calories is energy in versus energy out right and i know again you'll get into like metabolic issues and all that stuff but at the end of the day if you equate for energy in and energy out you're either going to maintain weight, lose weight, or gain weight. If you eat more energy than you expend, you're going to gain weight. And if you eat less energy than you expend, you're going to lose weight. If you match those up, you're going to maintain. That can be fluid over time, depending on exercise regimen, time, you, you know, lifestyle, all that stuff. Is, is there an easy way to to kind of back of the napkin calculate that? Because like I, I wrote, ran a Fitbit for a long time that reported double the calories John was burning with his Apple watch. I'm on an Apple watch now. It's showing the same thing as what his is showing, which is wildly different from what the Fitbit showed. And I, I looked it up a couple of times and it, it's it's like, I don't know, I, I didn't come to a clear answer. So I'm wondering. Yeah, I think reliably, like we get done with a ride, I would burn like 3000 calories and you'd burn like seven. Yeah. And is any of that at all, like anywhere in range of real realistic? Like? It's, I would think it's probably less than what those things spit out. Dane's got a Apple watch. Um, I got a Garmin and we could do the same ride. You know, she's at a heart rate of 210. I've had a heart rate of 160. She'll burn <laughs> 6,000 calories. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I just feel like we're doing kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's what we've been thinking. Um, yeah, I think there's some great calcu uh, macro calculators on the internet. Precision Nutrition is one. Okay. They have a really good free calculator that you could spit all your info. It's got pretty detailed like how much you exercise as a moderate, what's your day job, all that stuff. And that would give you a really good baseline to look at. Is there, is there a rule of thumb though for like, I don't know, I, a heart rate was 130 for four hours or whatever, like averaging. Is, is there any way to turn that into like probably burned X number of calories or is it super dependent on like I weigh 200 and the other guy weighs 180 and like, so it's going to be totally different. Like how, how does that line up? Yeah. I don't know. That's hard. <laughs> I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> no fair enough so but like it for the same heart rate level does size matter right like what are the inputs to burning calories like if john's a little bit taller than me if we go do 130 average heart rate or whatever for the same activities he burning more calories than me because he's a bigger dude is that i would like, think so 
yeah. carry okay. more weight. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Um, again, goal. So here's here's the interesting though, kind of on this point. If your goal is to drop weight, if you have your, let's say you had those macros kind of planned out, you shouldn't add calories for what you think you burned. Okay. Right. Like you might eat a mm. banana extra, but you shouldn't be eating. If you burn six, you're like, oh, I got 600 free calories. Like if your goals lose weight, that's just extra work. Right. Like right. don't even add it. Just enjoy it. And if your goal is to put on weight, you're just going to, you know, you got to pay attention to the scale and make sure you're eating enough to still accomplish your goal. So it really can be about what's happening on the scale. I mean, that's kind of how I do it. So like we, we, whatever, we wear the Apple watch and look at the metrics just for fun. But what I really care about is the, like I'm relatively steady weight. And as I ride more or less over the last couple of weeks, I'll notice that my diet kind of tracks, you know, a few days behind that or whatever I go, we go do a ride. Typically we put a few hours in on the weekends, right? So Monday and Tuesday I eat quite a bit. By the end of the week, it's tapered off. And I kind of just let that, let my hunger sort of guide me. And then, you know, I stay right, right within a couple of pounds of where I want to be for the most part. So that's how I've done it. But I know a lot of people are into fitness because they want to either gain or lose weight. Right. And that's a, a big motivator. So I was just curious how that, how it all connects. But Yeah. I think it's, you know, again, goal dependent. I think great metrics to pay attention to. Um, I don't want to build any neuroticies around the scale, but scale is a great one. Right. Uh, the mirror is really good. It's <laughs> where it all comes back, right? Totally. Uh, and like take that. a photo of yourself once a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. The other thing is when you see yourself every day, it's hard to see changes long term. Right. Um, and feelings are notoriously terrible metrics sometimes. <laughs> and so having those photos to go back to and just scroll through, you right. can see changes right. much, much better than if you're just every day looking in the mirror and only doing that um measurements could be one you know like waist measurement arm shoulders legs stuff like that mm-hmm. but that makes a lot of sense do you shift like diet plans at all specifically for high endurance type workouts like i mean you probably don't want to just like eat you know a 32 ounce steak and then go hop on the bike and go ride i mean it's a good way to throw up right? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but again, it would fall onto the individual and what okay. they're comfortable with. Because literally, you could find people who are crushing ultra marathons on carnivore, on mm. keto, on super low carb. Now, the only caveat that's worth looking at with that stuff is the intensity for those things is relatively low, right? You're you're in a sport that is primarily burning fat as fuel, and if you're going anaerobic, like you screwed up. Mm. like you right. you know you don't want to be anaerobic in a 24-hour race right and so the shorter that becomes and the more intense that becomes you're going to be burning sugar for fuel at some point and so that's where that the argument sense. is you do need to eat carbohydrate to fuel personally because i mean it's it's an interesting topic but i do believe that for the most part especially with like hard enduro and then going down to supercross and Enduro cross and all that. Um, yeah, carbohydrates is is gonna be very valuable. What about during the event? So like John mentioned, this this 13 hour ride that we do every year, like I mean, at some point you're just out of calories. You know you hit the wall. Like, but is is there kind of a rule of thumb of you gotta eat, you know, every X minutes or or I don't know, something like that? Again, kinda individual, but thirty to sixty grams of carbohydrate per hour. Okay. 
Mm. And it's best if you kind of stay on that, like get something in you every hour so that you're not running, running out. That's what you're saying. You definitely can fall behind. Right. And once okay. you fall behind, it's too late. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a piece. Yeah, so if, if you're, yeah, if you're into a, um, you know, five hour race yep. or festival situation, you didn't eat for the first three. When you bonk, it's going to take some time to come back from that. Whereas if you would have preempted that and fueled every hour, even when you didn't feel like you needed it yet, yep. you're going to be able to push that out further. So you're eating ahead of your hunger because you're burning too much in an intense situation to for the hunger to be a good accu- uh, an accurate indicator, right? So Yeah, because you're going to have a buffer that's going to last until it doesn't. Interesting. And you want to keep that in place as much as possible. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Interesting. What about sources of, of food, right? There's there there's one thinking that like, you know, whole foods eating meats or proteins eating, um, you know, carbohydrates, you know, from the whole source of the food is probably a better way to go. But then there's obviously a million and one different supplements out there and chips, you know, just about everybody trying to sell you any kind of anything you could possibly imagine. Right. Like there's, Fitness industry is not short for products to sell you. Um, like, what what are your recommendations around sources right. of, of food? Uh, sources of food, I think you can't go wrong with whole foods. Okay. So anything that you know grows, breathes, or swims, I think it was um, probably best bet. And then, so shop the perimeter of the store. You'll notice that most boxed canned foods are all in the middle, highly sure. processed. Yep. Not all. There's some canned foods that are good. But a lot of processed foods are in the middle of the store. If you keep your shopping more toward the perimeter, you know, you get the, the fresh foods, the meats, the veggies, the um, eggs, dairy, all that stuff. I never thought about that, like location in store. That's super interesting. Um, not to say that there isn't some engineered food that's great. I think, again, from a if you're feeling to perform, you can be a lot more lenient in your food choice and, and with performance benefit. Hmm. If you're feeling for, for life or a specific weight goal, then you need to probably be a little bit more cautious of what you're eating. So are you saying that like overall you want a good diet race day? Like a lot of times we're on the trail and it's like a Snickers bar or whatever is the only thing that's going to put calories in fast enough. It feels like sometimes, um, is that, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and again, this would go back to individuals' goals. So if you're someone who is potentially trying to lose weight, you shouldn't be using, in my opinion, you shouldn't be using riding as an excuse to eat the stuff that you want to eat right. outside of that. Totally. Right. Right. Make a sandwich, pack, pack fruit, tuna, nuts, whatever it is. Yep. Try and maintain that consistency in the food. If you're racing, I mean, there's absolute benefit to pounding goose and shop locks and snicker bars or whatever. So, I mean, it says it's the easy sugars. Your body can quickly burn them, right? Like, yeah. Again, it goes back to that. You're going to use it. Right. Right. You're eating fuel to, to feel your activity. Right. And you totally feel that if you're out of the trail, like we we've gotten, I don't know if attuned is the word, but like, I'm very sure that snickers bar is getting burned before I get off the bike. (laughs) It's gone. Right. And it's going to get, it gets used quick. Right. Right. That's, benefit of sugar it's right. easily digestible gets into the system does what it's supposed to do you're burning it you're not storing it 
Right. It's not spot. I mean, I guess you are spiking your blood sugar a little, but it's, it's not getting crazy because you're burning it so quickly. Right. So you're, you're going to keep, keep a balance. Um, I wondered on the water side, on the hydration side, it's sort of same question, right? Like there's liquid IVs or salt tablets. There's all sorts of stuff. We've had pretty good luck fending off like the, the dehydration headaches with like liquid IV or something like that in, in, in balance. But how much is there really to that stuff? I'm not positive on that. I've never personally done it. Um, I've heard people talk about it, but yeah, I don't have much there. Fair enough. Just from a general hand um, hydration standpoint, drinking half your body weight in ounces per day is a really good place to start. That's a lot. I think that's more than most people ever drink, right? Like I've heard that people are chronically hydrated in fairly large numbers. And... Dehydrated? Or uh, sorry, dehydrated. Yeah. If we were chronically hydrated. No, that'd be that'd be great. Much less interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's probably one of the most interesting yeah. parts of all this. Like, you can hydrate relatively quickly leading up to an event if you stay hydrated your performance is going to be better it's super easy to get unhydrated and most people are dehydrated i mean i've noticed a vast difference in my riding um both before during and after uh being hydrated or not being hydrated it sort of like has a real direct input but um it's like quick quickly has an input right it it seems to be the one thing that you can do really easily that it that's also kind of the biggest deficit in a lot of ways getting dehydrated will mess you up fast right yeah I mean, t- it takes your performance away quickly so yeah definitely from a um this guy dr andy galpin i don't know if you've heard of him uh know. fantastic website he's got some amazing uh, youtube videos yep, free videos yeah and he goes deep dive on all the metabolic stuff um hydration but this formula was from him and for maximum performance from a hydration standpoint if you take your body weight and divide it by 30 and then try and drink that number in ounces of water or sorry, of your electrolyte mix, whatever you're doing every 15 minutes for the duration of the activity. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Cause it's kind of like what you're saying, what, what you said a minute ago about eating regularly through the activity. So you, right. you don't want to, it's not like you can fill your stomach with water and then go three hours and be fine. Right. You'd want to take it in a kind of a more, more measured pace and that was and i was thinking about that and i was like man that'd be that's really hard to do in a race situation to yeah. every 50 well, you gotta minutes. carry so, it and time time to get it in you <laughs> so yeah. i was like okay i played with that and doubled it and just tried to do that every half hour okay which was much more realistic and i was like it's probably close enough if i'm drinking 12 ounces of water every 30 minutes obviously i'm not going to be out measuring out of my camel pack so when i was at home i just took a pole spit in a cup took a pole spit in a cup figured out how many you know typical pulls on the straw it took to get 12 ounces and then okay i need to do six pulls of water every 30 minutes hmm. yeah that makes sense i've never gotten that scientific with it but we usually i carry like a three liter camel back and i i know about how many hours of whatever kind of activity is going to take for me to get through that or whatever and try to try to use it over that time and get, I think you get used to it. I don't know. Trying to yeah, say, I mean, I usually come back having drank a full three liters of water. Um, but it's usually not mixed with any kind of like, uh, hydration supplement right, or anything like that. Straight water. Yeah. What about, um, caffeine? Like how does caffeine affect fitness and then performance? Um, there's some stuff out there that shows slight increases in performance. Um, basically I think what it boils down to is if you drink caffeine, drink caffeine, if you don't, it's probably not going to give you a huge advantage. Um, 
I think all these uh, stuff is so minimal compared to like sleep. Right. Well, we, we didn't even talk about sleep, but yeah, it's a whole other thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, all that, and because we're talking about dirt bike riding, I think we have to touch on alcohol. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, so yeah, we, I think we, we've about used up your, uh, your evening here, but, um, I would love, you know, we, we all know the guys that, uh, fill their pockets with beers and they got one every time you pull over to the side and, and that's the ride. It's, it's really a drinking ride. And I always think that's kind of entertaining, but, um, I, I'm sure you've got some stories about impacts of, of, I mean, what's drinking doing to your metabolism or whatever, right? Like, yeah, it's so there is a fantastic Huberman lab podcast. It's like two and a half hours on alcohol effects on the body. Um, his conclusion was there is basically nothing redeeming about alcohol. <laughs> I could see if that. The exception of potentially the social aspect. Well, I was just going to say. <laughs> but, so but, community bonding, all that stuff. Sure. Uh, from a performance standpoint, yeah, there's not much there. I mean, it gets in the way of, of right muscle muscle function and metabolism and a bunch of things, right? Like are inhibited. And- well, so there's the mental impact, but my, it's my understanding there's a there's a physical impact on your your muscles' ability to uptake I don't know water or energy something like I can't remember, but yeah, essentially, yeah, there's the immediate um, responses to a right, which is coordination, loss of coordination, blah blah blah. Right, and then there's the longer term, which is your body's going to more or less stop metabolizing anything else for the alcohol until it's out of your system, oh, and shit. that can last up for 24 to 48 hours. Yep, depending mm. on how much alcohol was taken in from a health standpoint. That's not great. You're going to switch out from whatever you're burning typically to clear that alcohol. And then the other big impact it has is the effect it has on your sleep. And so from a recovery standpoint, it's pretty bad. Right. So if you're out with your buddies and you're up until three o'clock in the morning drinking beers, and then you get up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning to hit the ride (laughs) and then you drink all day long and you're, your performance is going to suffer because of it. We don't hang out with, with those groups too much, but I did go on a one of the last kind of random group rides I went on. The guys were wasted in the morning. We all show up to the trail and they can barely ride and they, I, I ditched them <laughs> and they were pissed about it. But but uh, yeah, it's it's just doesn't uh, I, I don't see I, I go to ride like I want to ride the bike. I want to be good at it. Not, you know, if I want to drink, I'm going to drink at home. <laughs> I just don't yeah. see the crossover, but. I mean, it sounds a little judgy to be like, oh, I know, you shouldn't drink. I know, but I mean, you I don't know, care it, if you it, drink, but like if you're it, on the trail, let's, let's ride the bikes. It, <laughs> it depends on the mentality you bring into it. That's right. True. Like, I think That's we're true. fairly focused on performance and how do you improve not only in your riding, but in your physical, just yeah. life in general, right. you know, and, and not everybody brings that mentality into the sport. Right. Some people are more focused on the social, so that, social aspect fair. of it. And that's, that's totally fine i mean i get it I that's love fine it. you ride in a different group though okay i'll go ride by myself <laughs> not you <laughs> yeah no, i i think that's important i you know i've been on both sides of the coin and it's it's fun on one side but if you're our focus on true improvement you know you probably want to save it for a little bit later and the other part of that is typically you go out you do your ride you're under fueled you're under hydrated when you get back right don't drink water. You don't replenish any fluids. You go straight to alcohol. Right. And then, you know, that just kind of compounds all that stuff, which then pushes out the recovery that much further. Mm. Right. Cause now you're not, you're not recuperating any of those things. You just, you got to burn off the alcohol and then start recovery. Right. So this has been a ton of fun. Um, 
I appreciate, I think we ran over by a few minutes and I appreciate you bearing with us. Um, we had a lot of fun and um, I feel like we could, I don't know if we covered half our questions, but. Uh, no, I think I actually paced ourselves this time. We, <laughs> we, we made it to the end of the questions. I don't think we hit all the ones in between. Yeah. But, um, did you have anywhere you want to send the listeners um, in terms of like where they can find you and um, yeah, how to sign up for your courses? Yeah, so at Enduro Method on Instagram, um, we're at enduromethod.com. And then from there, you can sign up for a newsletter. We put out a weekly blog post where we cover anything from, well, I write it, so it could be all over the place. But <laughs> I didn't realize you had a blog. I'm definitely going to sign up. I didn't know about that part. Nice. Yeah, we try and stick to like bike focused, but uh, yeah, I'll go off on some tangents sometimes. Well, you guys have a cool. cool podcast too. Like I was just starting to listen to that and we'll send you all the um, recordings and stuff so you guys can throw this up on there as well if you want the, the footage from this. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Oh yeah, I should probably mention that. Enduro Method Podcast. Check that out. Um, we also are offering, we have an eight-week hard enduro training plan for sale. It's a one-off plan. It's not a subscription. Um, so essentially if you got a race coming up eight weeks out, start this plan. It'll help get you prepared. We got more plans like that coming in the future, stretch videos, um, series, stuff like that. Love it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll drop some links in the description and make sure people know how to find you. And we appreciate it. Um, thanks again, man. We'll, yeah, we'll, thank uh, you. We'll stay in touch. We'll probably have you back on. We want to ask you some more questions and stuff we didn't cover. So yeah, I'd love to we'll get to it. Cool. cool. Thank you. Yeah. Take thank care. I felt like I was back in, in biology in a, in a good way, like high school biology class, like all the shit that you forget that actually matters to what you're doing. Yeah, you don't realize how much it matters until you ATP get... and transport <laughs> and mitochondria. I don't know. <laughs> it's DNA, maybe. No, that was super but, interesting but was cool, conversation. Right? Like, like, not just, yeah. um, you know, there's also the hard science of it, which I don't think you really think about when you're pumping weights, but there's such he had such a practical approach yeah. to the entire process like yes it's all personalized like it all depends on like you and what you do for a living and the kind of writing that you like to do and the amount of time that you have and your personal you know diet and nutrition yeah. um like there's so much to it i don't well, know i well, feel like super practical or super applicable like i feel like the, the stuff that we talked about in this this episode was like you could just you could go live it yeah apply it there's tomorrow. a little something in there for everybody yeah and that being that it is uh january and oh new, i didn't even think new, about that new year new, new you the new year new me that, that that's that's our outro right there <laughs> what else can Done. we say go on, go to the gym <laughs> links in the description find enduro method they've uh, got really cool stuff and before we let you go buy a chin mount you will also find links in the description these things are freaking cool and uh, you support our podcast, which we super appreciate. So thanks. And until next time.